All right. So uh, on the Discord last night, we were talking about uh, how, like, so many of the streets in Buffalo and, and everywhere are named after uh, rich landowners and how, you know, I can't wait for, like, Abbott Road. Uh, an appropriate May Day topic, I might add. Right, yeah. yeah. I can't wait for Abbott Road to be renamed Paladino Boulevard. Um, we'll get Simonelli Circle. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sinatra Street, but uh, uh, J- Jamal Lane. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Jamal Junction. I mean, he's going to own him in ten years anyway. He's yeah, just yeah. Own he's... The city, so whatever his grand plan. Um, so we were talking about how you know Paladino lives on Potter's Road, and it, it prompted in my head a story from when I worked at the State Assembly. So I was at the State Assembly, and we had gotten some money for putting a splash pad in in the city of Lackawanna, and. I was there, you know, a couple of weeks, and I had taken over the grants. And the chief of staff said, "Hey, you have to call the city of Lackawanna. They said there's some problem with where we want to put the splash pad, and and just call them and figure it out and see what's what the issue is." So I called the city of Lackawanna, and they're like, "Oh yeah, so we have a huge issue, Jim. Turns out, like the vacant field on Ridge Road next to the library that we wanted to put the splash pad in was a le- actual Potter's Field in like the late 19th century, early 20th century. Yeah. And there are just loads of corpses there. Oh. And we can, we cannot move all these dead bodies. <laughs> so we have to put the splash pad somewhere Whoops. else. I was like, I mean. Like, well, that would have been an interesting splash pad. Right, Wouldn't yeah. Have. I mean, like a very poltergeisty oh, splash pad. <laughs> what, what, what if the splash pad had, had been, uh, been put in? And then uh, the, the what is it the the water spouts yeah. just started turning red. <laughs> that would have been fucking crazy. Oh, God, that'd be so metal though. That would yeah. be metal. So yeah, so so if you're ever in on Ridge Road and you're like, hey, what's this empty field next to this library? Just take a shovel and see what you can find. And welcome back to the square, uh, your number one podcast of dead bodies, splash pads. Uh, no, don't, don't say that. Number one, number one splash pad podcast. <laughs> right. Let, let's say the number one May Day podcast. Well, we're, I, we're recording on May first. Yeah. yeah. Splash podcast. Splash podcast. Yeah. No, I like that. Nice, dude. Yeah. No, we're recording on uh, on May first. It's it's May Day for the workers mm-hmm. out there. And uh, God bless you all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, our Starbucks folks, right? Changing the paradigm out there, and that's such a corporate phrase too. But it's so funny. <laughs> I know, shifting the paradigm. Yep, creating synergies. Creating synergies. That's a good <laughs> one too. I love it, man. Uh-huh. So yeah, we're hanging out. Uh, it's a, it's a Sunday. It's a nice Sunday. The, it's not. It's not too warm, but it's not too cold. It's just right. It's just like mm-hmm. the the bears and their porridge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you ever had porridge, Rye? Uh, I thought that was just oatmeal. Is that what that is? Porridge? Uh, no, I don't know. Or I'm, cream of weed. It's, it's like it's I mean it's something right? similar to that. I mean it could be a slightly different. Yeah. George Hallison and I used to have it together. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice dude. No kidding. Ah, uh, well, we're here. We're talking about the news of the week because, you know, one, you like listening to us. Two, we like to talk. We would be doing this anyway. If it wasn't, yeah. if we did not have this recording equipment in front of us, we would literally be getting together and just talking about this stuff. But mm-hmm. we're glad that you can join us. So not, to your benefit, we're recording it. We're recording it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I say join us, I mean, you you can't talk here to us because mm-hmm. you're listening to a recording 
of us talking. You can talk to us in the Discord, however. Mm-hmm. And um, our Discord is always popping. Uh, we get a lot of what we talk about here from the Discord because, you know, we got some locked in, really cool and interesting people who also give a shit about this stuff. So check out the Discord if, uh, you know, if you want to find a community of like-minded individuals also if you really like us you really really like us you can give us money that's what you do that's what you do you hand over your your george washington's your uh, your abe lincoln's you know maybe your benjamin's if you're <laughs> really like us and in america money equals love right yes. and we love you love us back right not just free speech it's love right so give us the love give us the money go to our patreon and uh subscribe you know we we keep it free. I mean, we keep the content free here for, for you folks because, I don't know, a lot of it is if it's news of the week, we hate paywall stuff. It's not because that's what it's worth, right? Right, right, right. It's worth something, but we just like to, you know, all, all of you sickos who like to listen to us, we like to keep that available to you. But if you want to support us, go to our Patreon and uh, give us the dough. But let's do our thing here, gentlemen. Let's start out with... Taxes. Oh, boy. Taxes. We got taxes. They're going up again, Jim. What the fuck, man? I thought Byron Brown ran against India Walton because she was the socialist, going to spend all your money, tax you into the Mm -hmm. ground. And lo and behold, Byron Brown's uh, tax uh, hike here is going to be more than India Walton's was proposed. Yeah, no, uh, strange how that works out, right? You must have I, run out of other ways to rat fuck people. Yeah. With the speed camera, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, Parking tickets. Right, there's only so many lemonade stands the mayor can have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, you know, it actually makes me think of, during the mayoral election last year, I was talking to my father about it, and he's like, he goes, I understand that India Walton is telling the truth that they have to raise taxes, but it's not going to help her. She should just not say that. Uh, and I was like, well, she wants to treat people like adults. And he's like, yeah, there's people are stupid. Don't, big don't, mistake. Don't, 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 big, <laughs> big mistake. Yeah, so the mayor was like, no, no, no. Ta- India Walton wants to raise your taxes and take your money. And then he gets to stay in the city. He's like, definitely have to raise taxes. Mm-hmm. And look, we've known this for a long time in the city. Like, taxes should have been raised, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. But the mayor has been reticent and you know he's he's gone out of his way to not raise taxes and spend down the fund balance instead and put the city in a, a terrible financial position yeah because he wants to win re-election and that's more important than the health of the city i hope mark polenkars is watching yes yep no and and look again it was inevitable that the city of buffalo was going to have to raise taxes like in order to have a functioning government that I mean, even even just the bare bones operation that well, sometimes... pay for more cops, right? I don't know. I mean, even even the bare bones operation, it seems like the city of Buffalo is at times. You still need money to pay employees and you know for for infrastructure. But my God, man, like it's just so it's so frustrating, it's so grating to think that they hammered India Walton on this so hard. And I get it. Your, your dad's probably right, Jim. Like it, it, she probably said, should have said nothing. But at the same time, we if we want like actual honest representation that we can that can be geared towards helping working class people, it's got to start by having on, honest conversations about what your obligation is for taxes as part of a city, as part of society. And yet, you know, 
she just gets nailed into oblivion for this. Um, like the socialists, like, uh, blah, 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 taxes didn't go up. And the taxes go up, and nobody's, like, we're bitching about it, but none of the people who were railing against India Walton, uh, nothing from them. Right, well, it's, it's, it's indicative of, like, the general culture in the United States of where they're like, oh, you can't trust any politician. And here we had somebody running for elective office who was being, you know, incredibly honest during their campaign. And people are like, well, we can't trust this person right. because they're a, they're a politician. It reminds me of actually when I worked for the county legislature, I was there during the red-green budget fiasco in 2003. We were meeting with a group of supporters, and we you know, explained what was going on with the budget and, and you know where the shortfalls were and what the p- possible abilities to redress that were. Afterwards, one of the, our key supporters came up to us and said, Okay, well, I know you. That's what you had to tell the group, but you can tell me what's really going on. And we're like, no, no, that is what really going on. And they got mad because they assumed that even though we were in a group of supporters, we were going to lie and put up some sort of front, yeah, yeah. and that they would be we, we reserve actual knowledge for an exclusive group that they thought they would be included in, mm-hmm. and they they couldn't fathom that we were just going to be open and honest with people. Wow. So with this. His uh, Byron Brown's five hundred sixty-eight million dollars spending plan for twenty two twenty three recommends increasing residential property taxes by five percent and commercial property taxes by six point six percent. Recycling and garbage user fees would also rise by about four <laughs> percent. The shit rolls downhill. Mm-hmm. You know, you know who's going to be impacted the most. The property owners are going to say, "Okay, tax are going up, rents going up, rents right. going up, and and rents not going to go up five percent." No. no. Rent's going to go up like 15, 25%. Mm-hmm. Yes. Under the, under the guise of property taxes going up, yes, rent is going to go up uh, exorbitantly again. We just ha- we did this a couple years ago right. where we had a bump in property taxes. Right. Well, it's, well you, you had the reassessment done in the city. Yes. So people's taxes went up. So because they got reassessed, they, they raised rents. It's going to happen again. And like I said, it's going to be higher than the actual increase. It's just like all these companies going out there saying, well, we have to increase prices because of inflation. And you're like, well, you had your most profitable year ever last year, and inflation's like 6%, and you're raising prices 20%. It sucks. And again, like we knew it was coming. And that's that's the most frustrating part is... Maybe there's a supply chain issue in grassroots, getting grassroots, oh. new, new leaders from grassroots from, from the east side to City Hall. We, we knew this was coming, and... Again, like we could have, it's it's all about who did you want to manage this? Did you want India Walton, who is somebody who actually gives a shit about normal people, working class people, or did you want Byron Brown, who's like, nope, we're just gonna we're gonna keep the grift going, baby. We're just gonna keep this moving along. Well, so, and I've seen people online. They're like, well, you know, I didn't want India. I didn't, it wasn't because of the taxes. I didn't want somebody who I thought would be incompetent leading. I was like, so you 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 rather pick the person <laughs> you knew wasn't competent? <laughs> Awesome. Like, there's a chance this person could be competent. He, he doesn't have a plan for anything. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, speaking of things, uh, speaking of property on Byron Brown's watch here, Jim, talk to me about this Great Northern, uh, the, the development here. Uh, so I, I, I just write a little bit about this, so I, I'm not as well-versed as I, I probably should be. But it's my understanding. So, you know, they had the, like, the city ran that, a quick hearing saying, okay, you can tear it down. Well, it was appealed, and there was a stay put in. And it's my understanding that 
the, uh, the most recent judgment said that they have to have a new hearing about the emergency demolition. And at this new hearing, preservations are going to be allowed to present their case for maintaining and restoring the Great Northern Elevator. Interesting. Had had uh, the the preservation has been kept out of this previously? Yeah, it was it was it was run like basically overnight by the city. To be like, okay, go ahead. Well, again, Byron Brown. Saying, uh, okay, go ahead, destroy it. Like, it, please pay no attention to the fact that we haven't inspected this in twenty years. Just just go ahead and, and destroy it. Good good Solid on plan. good on them for letting. Uh, you know, I, I know there's an uneasy. Eh, I don't want to say tension or whatever, but a lot of the preservationists that it, it, there's some good stuff they've done around here. There's some, you know, trying to keep stuff up that is probably long past its expiration date. But this one, at the very least, needs a little bit more public discussion mm-hmm. with the Great Northern. And I know there was a lot of talk about it when it happened. It has since kind of died out, but it's indicative. Like we've talked about it on the show before. It's indicative of Byron Brown on his watch is. Le- <laughs> you're right one one inspection was it in 20 years something like that something yeah. ridiculous like that and personally i've come around on the great northern i want to save it now yeah um we've been convinced right I, yeah by jeff kelly yeah so jeff has swayed us yeah so i i've come around on like that it, that it is important let's keep it uh but i, I mean I, I do think of like you know uh that 11 11 elmwood yeah that New, the new condos being put in at the corner of elmwood and forest yeah. there was a push by preservationists back then to like save the Built the duels, the double, yeah, two story buildings. It was that were a there. great porch fest location. It was a great porch fest location. It was a little tough because it was right on Elmwood, but most of those places were like run down businesses, right? Yeah, and those houses weren't being really properly taken care of, um, and and none of them were amazing architecturally because most of the good architecture parts of that had been stripped away to make them as plain as possible because they were become businesses. So I was like. We can we can lose like these four houses now. Just around the corner, there's a preservation effort. Like, well, they're pushing it back against Doug Jamal at the Richardson Complex, right? They're putting uh, an Eve, yes, traffic yes. thing. So I don't know what's going on with that, but I guess that got denied. It's not aesthetically; you know, it doesn't go along with the with the architecture. Right? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, so yeah. there's that. I I kind of agree with them there. Like, yeah. just putting like uh, a giant metal like yeah. carport in. It's, it, it, it should flow with the building. Right. Like, okay, I get it. Like, you want people to be able to, like, show up for a wedding and have the limo pull up and right. them not get rained on if it's raining. Right. But you can't just be like, well, then we'll just put something that should be at the Outer Harbor up here. <laughs> put some effort into it, Doug. <laughs> get it together, Doug. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We're, we're I guess we're back to taxes, Jim. Uh, did we talk about that? I don't think. Did we talk about the gas tax cap last week? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Well, if we did, sorry, listener, we're all fucking senile here. But if we didn't, if you're not aware of this, Mark Polencars announced that there would be a temporary um, gas tax cap in the in, in Erie. I think it was Erie County. Yeah. Right? That Niagara County did their own effort. Niagara County did their own effort. I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about this. Yeah. Sorry, so go again. out. By the biggest truck you can find. Right. Sales on tax at $2 per gallon. So, uh, yeah, following discussion with legislators today, I'm sending a resolution to the legislature to temporarily cap the county sales tax on gas at $2 per gallon uh, based on current rates, an 11 cents, 11 cent reduction per gallon will result if retailers pass on the reduction. I mean, it's one of those things. It sounds great in the short term. It sounds like an absolute nightmare in the long term yeah because 
eventually you will need to get the taxes back to the level they need to be at. Like eventually, eventually the county government will need those dollars. And my God, it is going to be a bloodbath when they try to, Oh, here come the Democrats again, upping your taxes. Yeah, no, it's, well, I mean, although, like Niagara County, which is Republicans, did the same thing. Although they capped it at three dollars instead of two, mm-hmm. they weren't as generous. But I mean, also Niagara County again, a much smaller tax base. The amount of money that they're generating off of it is much lower than what mm-hmm. Erie County is going to be generating. I don't know exactly how much money Erie County is going to be short because of this, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a considerable amount of money. It's going to be a considerable amount of money that it's going to be short, and it has to figure out some other way and. County governments are not the federal government. They can't run deficits. They have to figure this out. You know, so the the county is going to pitch in two hundred fifty million dollars for a football stadium and also reduce taxes on gas. Like oh. you can't. Like I I don't know about you. Like if you imagine the county budget as a personal budget, you can't say I'm going to have this incredibly lavish expense and also reduce my income. Maybe the county should try investing in Bitcoin. Could be, maybe they go to well, one of those crypto conferences. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or like uh, sports cards are having a moment again. Oh yeah. So that'd be a thing, right? Like what? If, like what if Mark, it's something tangible? Mark Poland cars just went to like every year they have uh, a big sports convention, sports card convention in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, so he just goes and buys like every Josh <laughs> Allen rookie that they have. <laughs> we we should rightfully own those. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so. Uh, maybe and maybe we could store them at that warehouse the city's paying for, like nine thousand dollars a month. <laughs> yeah. Then we, look, like if you stored the Josh Allen rookie cards there, nobody would be mad that you're paying an exorbitant rate for the warehouse. <laughs> right, right, oh, right. Care. If if we just send Poland cars with like a comically oversized check to the the, the Great American Sports Card Show or whatever the hell it's called, the National, and and tell them. Buy every Josh Allen rookie card you can get your hands on. Speaking of oversized check, is it just me or I, have you not seen one in a long time? Well, COVID is really because like they, they haven't had the event, so they've just been secretly giving the money to people. Uh, now that COVID's disappearing, I guarantee you you're going to see the return of the oversized check. Dude, I, I feel like I'd see it on TV constantly. There's yeah, always right. somebody getting an oversized, comically large check. Yeah, Ed McMahon was the king of oversized checks. Oh, that was awesome, man. So I, they I get, they, hold on. They gave me an idea. They should Byron Brown should frame that should name the tax hike the J, Josh Allen tax hike. Josh Allen tax, and it'll hike. go over much easier. Right, right. Yeah, the Josh Allen hut hut hike. Yep, <laughs> yep. That's uh, <laughs> perfect. Uh, I think we're going to see the return of the comically oversized checks soon. But speaking of which, that's what we should have done when we uh, did that did our Christmas party. <laughs> an oversized check to eBay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, well, a, with a big Santa Claus on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know who probably got a, a comically oversized, maybe not an oversized check, but definitely an oversized amount of payment to show his just disgusting, creepy face around uh, <laughs> around Canisius College. Oh, no. Yeah, Jim's favorite uh, former Wisconsin governor, Scott Walker. Right. Well, I mean, my second favorite is Robert Lafayette. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they usually pronounce it LaFollette over there. I don't know if it's like a weird Buffalo pronunciation. Uh, yeah, Scott Walker, the just piece of shit, oh, dude. Worth, oh, He's giving a some kind of a talk or a lecture. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something like how your rights are derived from God and not from the government. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I hope he's giving it to the education department. Uh, and he just talks about how he was a union buster in Wisconsin for years. Oh, God, he's he reminds me of a certain time about a decade ago. Like I feel like I'd always see Scott Walker, who was um, who was the dude before Paul Ryan, John Boehner. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I, I would see like Scott Walker, John Boehner. Like it was just like a rogues gallery of yeah. just the most unpleasant looking people you've ever seen, and I. I mean, I'm not saying the Republicans are are any better looking today. What I am saying is, like, I I don't have to see just that gross ham face looking fucker. See, the other person from that time that I think of a lot is also like a just a gross ham face fucker is Huckabee. Oh, oh my god, god. Mike Huckabee. Uh, hmm. But at least Boehner, like after he got out of Congress, he was like, "Oh, the Republicans now are shitheads." He so he has that, but unfortunately. He did what all these Republicans do. He also which, does the coolest thing ever and smokes like a chimney. Yes, he does. Smoking is cool. Smoking he also cool. cried all the time. That was what yeah, I loved about John Boehner. Right, you're right. He's a big but, crier. But, but he did it while he was in power. He wasn't like, you guys are shitheads. We should do the right thing. Yeah. He was like, all right, shitheads, what should we do? Especially after Eric Cantor lost. Uh, <laughs> the crying congressman. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Big no, what, what was uh, Scott Walker? He had like the like that really gross sandwich, I think he tweeted at one time. He's just... He's just a fucking weird dude. I don't know. What do you want me to say? It's it's really disappointing that like Scott Walker is going to get paid by Canisius to come and talk about nonsense and like the divine rights. How, how is he an authority on that? Anyway, yeah, because he says he is right. Yeah, because uh, famous theologian <laughs> yeah, right. Scott Walker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, he's just talking out of his ass. He's probably one of those people who think the founding fathers were perfect Christians. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't have has no actual right. historical knowledge. Yeah. And uh, like, oh, okay. So what about people in this country who aren't Christians? Do they have no rights? Because God didn't give them to them, or did God give them rights despite it? Or what about people in other countries who have different religions? He's like, such a giant asshole, and I feel sorry for anyone like, who goes and listens. To like, like if, yeah. if you know, if you're majority Shinto, like where <laughs> where do your rights come from? Just uh, some fox spirits running through the woods? Probably. I mean, that's where I assume my that. rights come from. Right. So, right. yes. Uh, and I think it was I think it was Nagel in the the Discord who was like they're probably just doing this to trigger the libs and yeah. get protests and you know right whatever paint themselves as the victim right right and say oh cancel culture is running amok it's out of control oh free speech right mm-hmm. meanwhile back when I was in college my junior year uh, Hillary Clinton who was at that time a senator from New York was actually invited and was selected to be the commencement speaker at St. Bonaventure. Mm-hmm. But the university, the leadership vetoed her because she was pro-choice and it was a yeah. Catholic university. Right. And not only did they veto her, but they replaced her with a crazy pro-life advocate who spent like most of the commencement speech talking in graphic detail about like partial birth abortions. It sucks. So, uh, it fucking sucks. What, what, what an uplifting... <laughs> commencement speech <laughs> those were the only two choices <laughs> right yeah what the f- <laughs> dude when i was at notre dame um so it's traditional for the like the president in, uh in their first term to give the commencement speech at notre dame and so barack obama was going to give the commencement speech yeah. in 2008 and like oh my god people lost their fucking minds and i know this because i actually worked in the call center doing fundraising and i would like call people for money 
You know, I was the, that annoying person, like, hey, can you give money? But actually, at Notre Dame, they, they would give money, unlike a lot of other places, because, you know, they just want to throw money at, at the football team. And uh, there were people saying, nope, we're not giving money as long as, uh, you know, that baby killer Obama is going to be allowed to speak Jeez. at campus. He ended up giving the speech. But the trade-off they had to make was a couple years later, they had to have Robert Gates as the commencement speaker, oh. the Secretary of Defense. <laughs> I, I thought the trade-off was Amy Coney Barrett got to be on the Supreme well, Court. Well, oh, that, that too. That too. Yeah. That too. Yeah. But the, uh, the follow-up was my senior year at Bonaventure, my commencement speaker was Tim Russert. That's so I, cool. Way better than oh, partial yeah. birth abortions. I had Brian Williams, who it was cool, but it wasn't like Barack Obama cool. Yeah. I mean, it's... It was cool. Brian Williams is still pretty cool. Brian Williams is still pretty cool. But, you know, it was Obama the year before. And I guess, like, Robert Gates. I guess I should be happy I didn't get Robert Gates. It was really boring. Yeah. I actually yeah. was there for it. Um, see my ex-girlfriend graduate at the time. But, uh, yeah, neither here nor there. We, we, got, we went in the time machine back to 2012, which was a, a simpler, albeit still stupid time. Yeah. So, speaking of going back in the time machine, Joe, though, Jim, uh, how do you feel about he- having the name Giuliani back in your life. Oh, no. Man, not great. Oh. I mean, kind of good for comedic effect. I mean, I, I posted like the, before like that I, I was rooting for Andrew in the, the Republican primary for Max Comedy, but I just don't have enough faith in people to not vote for the comedic choice. Andrew Giuliani, slick back hair, sloppy steaks. Sloppy steaks. <laughs> I used to be a real asshole. Uh, <laughs> real, a real piece, piece of, of shit. shit. <laughs> it, it, what, the thing that I think is the, the, why this is the most fun possible, that Giuliani is currently in first place in the polling and the Republican, yeah. is because the conservative party gave it to Zeldin so the Republicans would be split in the general election if Giuliani wins the Republican nomination. Oh, it's also hilarious to me that uh, Zeldin started airing commercials a couple weeks ago. Harry Wilson has been spending money like crazy airing commercials for like six or seven weeks now. Giuliani hasn't done dick. Nothing. And he's in first place. He's polling. got the name. Yep. He's got the name. And the attitude. And the and, attitude. Yeah. It's, and uh, I assume like his TV commercials are just going to be actually uh, he'll buy the rights from that SNL sketch where Chris Farley played him, and he'll just air that. <laughs> we yeah. got we got the we got the soft Republican Suozzi, right? He's got ads out now. Oh, he's got ads out. Yeah, and, and like if you if you didn't know what the name was, you would think that the Zeldin and Suozzi ads were exactly yeah. like it was the same candidate, right? Yeah, I mean, it just shows how uninspiring Zeldin is, and I, I don't know. I, I, you'd think that his own party would would have rallied against or rallied behind him, or you think they would have given Andrew Giuliani a few years to kind of uh, become a little bit more seasoned before really making a run. They, I think, they know that Kathy Hochul is weak, like that she's or weaker, weaker than you would expect, like a sitting governor to be. Yeah, and I don't think they were prepared for that because if they were. Uh, they wouldn't have ponied up Zeldin there. You know, I, I think they would have they they would have been a little bit more creative with who they were pushing, but it's kind of fallen into their laps, except they don't have the infrastructure to really have a good candidate run against Kathy. Yeah. I, I do think a little bit of it the Republicans again, the tail wag the dog here, the conservatives endorsed Zeldin and the Republicans kind of felt 
forced to have to do that so they wouldn't split the vote. Yeah. Turns out they might get fucked anyways. So, <laughs> LOL. You know, good luck, Nick Langworthy. Just real quick, you called it. Um, they're going after Kathy Hochul in their ads about bail reform. So yep. everything she did was totally for nothing. Right? Yeah. All, all yeah. this, all Oops. this ass kissing yeah. about, and, and oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of bail reform. I'm like, look, if you passed a law where every single person in New York State had to go to jail every single night after work, and all of us had to live in jail, they would, they would still attack you for being soft on crime. Too soft on uh, crime. Why do they get to leave the jail? Right. All right. That's. Uh, it's insane, uh, but even Swazi's attacking her on it. I know, I know. Uh, cashless bail. Meanwhile, speaking of cashless bail, uh, I'm just going to jump around a little bit. So we have a one of West Seneca's finest losing <laughs> <laughs> in court this week. What you going to do? What you going to oh, do when they come for you? Uh, and, and they were released on their own recognizance, like cashless bail. But, and, you know, this person's a real threat to the society. They, they should be on, like, $2 million bail. This is what the arguments that the Republicans would make, right? Right. Now, uh, what's like a cop uh, arrested uh, felony charges for stealing over $10,000 worth of stuff from Home Depot from no. last October to April of now, this Now, Home year. Depot tracked all these events. Right, yeah. Until seemed, they added up to over $10,000. Stealing out equipment like that you could build a fucking house with, yeah. mm-hmm. like yeah. the materials. Uh-huh. Just walking out with... Planks of wood. Yeah, to him and uh, Ben Shapiro, one plank of wood at a time. Uh, to, to be fair, every time I go into Home Depot now, it's $10,000, $10,000. Inflation. <laughs> right, yeah. Supply chain. <laughs> hey uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, clearly, like, they just sat on this until they're like, like it was so obvious. They were like, well, should we report this? And they're like, no, let's, let's wait until it's a felony. I don't know that they knew that this guy was a cop. They just knew that this person was stealing the stuff from them and making it so obvious that. So does that mean I can start stealing things from Home Depot as long as it's under ten thousand dollars? Well, that's that's kind of won't go after me. That's that's the lesson I'm learning is like (laughs) keep track and then like once you get to like ninety five hundred dollars, move on to Lowe's. Heck, he's a new miter saw. Right, or 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 maybe maybe change lanes and and get a time machine and go to Builder Square. (laughs) This strikes me. I think they probably did know he was a cop, and the reason I say that is like. All right, there's some level of fucking shoplifting that I think stores will uh, condone. Like, if they catch you, obviously, like, okay, you're kind of fucked, but they know what's going to happen. This strikes me as something that, look, you don't try to nail somebody to the wall like this unless they were fairly blatant about it and were kind of rubbing rubbing it in your face. And from there, it, it leads me to believe that this guy was probably said, you know, I'm a cop, like whatever, and acted like a prick, and that's why they wanted to nail him to the wall, right? That's what because he was going there to self checkout, and he was like, scans a hundred grand candy bar, scans a pack of batteries, just picks up the miter saw, puts it on the, and <laughs> okay, three dollars. <laughs> see you guys later. <laughs> three dollars. What what century am I living in that batteries cost three dollars? Of oh, course, it was like yeah. twenty five dollars for batteries and a sure candy bar. Yeah. Damn. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, yeah. No. I mean, it, it had to be something fairly. You know, blatant again. I can't imagine that they wouldn't want to fuck this guy unless he was being a real douche. So, hate to see it. Uh, Jim, we've got some news on the Cuba front. We do. Uh, Carras County, big news. Uh, so, we talked about sometime in the past. And good uh, news for all you cheese lovers. Yeah, Great Lakes Cheese. So, they were threatening to actually move all their cheese production out of New York State and to Ohio, famous for its 
cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ohio uh, cheese. <laughs> that man, that Ohio cheese. Yeah. Oh uh, God. Uh, goes goes well with that Lake Erie perch. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made with fresh Cuyahoga River water. Uh, but no, so they they got property in like Farmersville, Franklinville, that area. And they broke rounds this week on a $500 million facility. They are going to be closing the cheese factory in Cuba. Uh, I mean, so it's farmers close enough that if you work at, at the Cuba fa- factory, you'll be able to make the commute. What they're going to do with an abandoned factory in Cuba, who knows? Hopefully an artisan cheese factory will take its place. Right. Yeah, it's, I, it's going to be it's going to become Raccoon City is what's going to happen. <laughs> Well, that's cool too, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, a, that's a place for raccoons to do parkour. <laughs> um, but no, it broke ground, and uh, my my parents went down to Franklinville yesterday. It was Maple Fest. Ooh. Drove by the they've. It's a massive area that they they're clearing out so that they can build. Well, I mean, five hundred million dollar facility. I mean, you can get that's half a football stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, for all the, the cheese lovers out there, which we are, we, mm-hmm. we love cheese. I, I, I are, the, love... Are, are the two related at all? I mean, you're going to need a lot of cheese in that new football stadium, right? Right. Maybe, I mean, this was planned. Yeah, it's, uh, it's synergy. Higher capacity, synergy. They're, they're, maybe they'll have one of those, like, underground, like, uh, Bank tunnel, like uh, bank shoots. Yeah. Uh, when you go through the drive through, the old drive throughs at the bank where you could do you, you, the. It's hydraulic just liquid cheese just, coming through just, yeah just <laughs> straight to the stadium <laughs> right, just, just. yeah <laughs> the nacho cannon yeah. yeah dude that'd be so sick i'd love it mm-hmm. oh man well good on good on great lakes cheese keep the the cheese tradition up in cuba and um you know we would love to or not it's in farmersville but whatever yeah the cheese shop's still gonna kick around right I yeah assume oh yeah yeah, I, I would assume the cheese shop will still be around. Um, it's an institution. Yeah, it's. I mean, they do a, they do a pretty brisk mail order business too. Really? Yeah, we love our cheese, folks. We love. We also love our um, our, our our restaurants here, Jim. We do. Oh, we geez. do. We we love our restaurants. Well, we're going to talk about two restaurants. One, we're going to talk about Moriarty Cafe. Yeah, which you you recently made a trip to. Yeah, well, we we talked about Moriarty with Galarno. I know. He was on. Um, and we're going to talk about it again because you said you had yeah. the best beef on weck you've ever had. I did. Um, so I, I've heard that the beef on weck at Moriarty Cafe is good. They have, if you've never been to Moriarty Cafe, they have like tapas and that stuff. And then they have usually four sandwiches on the menu, two rotate every month. And then they always have their their burger. For what I see, an, ex- an extensive sausage list, too. Yeah. They got all, man, just great. Um, and I did see somebody order the burger and it looked amazing. Mm. Uh, so I might have to get that next time. But I get the beef on whack, just home-baked roll, like a fre- uh, in-house baked roll. Mm. It, was, it was well-salted, lots of caraway seeds, but still soft. It didn't have, like, uh, some Kimowak rolls will be over-baked and have, like, a little bit of crunchiness to them. Right. This was just... It's got to be soft and chewy. soft and chewy. Um, it comes with a, a horseradish mayo, mm. which was nice. beautiful. It was It was creamy. It had a little bit of horseradish bite to it, but it wasn't like, you know, it didn't clear your sinuses. I yeah. mean, some people like that that yeah. way. And then, of course, you know, they started as a butcher shop, so the beef was just mm-hmm. perfect. I mean, incredibly seasoned, perfectly cooked, thinly sliced, uh, clearly hand sliced because... I mean, this guy trained in France, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... That's what he's doing. Yeah. So... Uh, if if you're like, hey, I, I really wanted to take somebody for a special beef on whack. Now, Moriarty Cafe is 
they have limited hours. They're only open for lunch, and it's like 11 or noon to 4 for like four days a week. But it's well worth it. It's well worth going there. Cool. Well, I still haven't made my way there yet, so I will have to uh, pop over to Moriarty Cafe in the near future. Um, but somewhere I will definitely be popping over to before they close their doors for good is... Two weeks uh, left. Sato Brew Pub. Man, mm-hmm. oh my God. Are, are you guys... I'm of the opinion like a lot of these restaurants kicked around just they probably got PPE loans. I don't know if yeah. uh, Sato got a PPE yeah. loan. I'm just assuming that we're seeing a lot of closures because these PPE loans kept them afloat and now the money's run out is my guess. The pandemic happened and I used to go there a lot and I forgot all about it. Sato mm. Brew Pub. Yeah. Obviously they got the popular location on Elmwood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love that place. I'm, I'm sorry they're going. They're so unassuming. Yeah. No, food there is fantastic. Um, you know, it, it it's... It was something different. I, I think yeah. that's really what it is. Like, it's one of those things where it, it wasn't your typical American fare. The which beers were great. No, no, yeah, right. No shade to no. a lot of the other restaurants around here. It was just, it was cool to be able to get yeah. like Japanese cuisine and mm. Japanese beers. And yeah, I hate to see it close. Although I, somebody on Twitter said, "Can we get Sound Lab back? If they're going to close Sato Brew Pub, oh. can we get Sound Lab back?" Which I second. Right. I second that. I love Sound Lab. I saw a uh, Tokyo Police Club at Sound Lab, and Smoosh, which is now Chaos Chaos, mm. who you might know right, right. from their work with Rick and Morty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, opened Chaos Chaos. Now, like they're still two young women. I believe they were twelve and fourteen when they opened for Tokyo Police Club. When I saw oh, them no at, at Sound Lab, I, I was. I mean, I was a, a couple of drinks in, but I just turned around to my friends. I was like. Who are these little girls like that are on stage? Like, like are they like like the band's like cousins? And like, why are they using child labor to like set up right. like the stage? And then like they went out and did an amazing set, like really rocking. Talented kids, yeah, yeah, badass. Well, we we forgot to speaking of uh, concerts, we forgot to tell you all that on four twenty we we saw the darkness in town ballroom. Oh, it was a great show. Yeah, nonstop, nonstop fun. It was, yeah, it was everything that you thought going to see the darkness in 2022 would be like, and, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like they, it's, it's, it's so amazing that they, their anachronism circa 2001 still works the same as an anachronism in 2022. A double anachronism. Well, yeah, like they're, mm-hmm. they're, such a throwback that was their whole shtick is that they're like this eighties hair metal band and just, but like, you know, they fucking brought it great fun riffs. Mm-hmm. They play their instruments well. Guy's voice is still top notch. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years later. How the fuck does he do that? Like, his voice is so good. Just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, we had a ton of fun. We saw saw a bunch of friends of the pod. Yeah. Saw Sally Schaefer. Yep. Um, Rex Kitten. Rex Kitten. We saw Dale G. Yep. Yep. We saw, yeah, there's somebody else too, I think. But no, saw a lot of friends of the pod. Had a good time. Apologize to him later. Yeah. We will apologize to them all later. So, Uh, and then. Last week, uh, recorded live in Buffalo was Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, yes. yeah. Yep. And, so, and my wife, Kel, went. It was a great show. And, and their guest was Miles Stubblefield. <laughs> the worm guy. The worm king of Buffalo. <laughs> no way. It was good. I listened to it. It was good. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. Yeah. The, the old worm king of Buffalo. So we should get the worm king on this show. I'd love to have the worm king on. The worm king? Yeah, yeah. why not? Fuck! What is what is his, his shtick? Does he like own a lot of worms? No. It, w- w- what had happened was I don't listen to that bullshit. So you <laughs> tell me. 
<laughs> no, no. So, so he spent a lot of time um, in, in like dog shelters, animal shelters. And he's like, what are we going to do with all this dog waste, right? So he started a worm farm. I guess worms process that really well. And, uh, you know, to create uh, compost and soil, right? Right. Now he's got so many worms, he's built up such an operation that he's selling the worms to farmers. He's doing really well. Wow. So my man's like basically just took a bunch of dog shit and made a little empire out mm-hmm. of it. That's right. Good for him. Good for That's maybe right. we will get the worm king on. Fuck it. He literally like polished a turd. He polished a turd. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're about here at the square. Polishing that's our right. turds. That's right. Yeah, it's I when I first heard he was a worm king, I thought it was like a Willard type thing, but it's not that mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> Guys, uh, do we want to talk about uh, I know we're gonna get into it with our interview with Frank Hausch this week, but uh, the whole uh, redistricting uh, gone awry for the Democrats. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. 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 So, you know, we, we, we were a little more broad in our discussion with Frank, but, uh, you know, let's, let's maybe hone in and, and uh, see what we can figure out here. Well, so it's my understanding that when the, the appeals court turned it down, now the state Supreme Court said that the congressional uh, districts, the state Senate districts and the state assembly districts were no good. Mm-hmm. And I had heard criticism that you couldn't include the assembly districts in the way it was broken down and that and that was going to be kind of the argument that to, when they appealed it is that you can't consider them all. And the appeals court was like, yeah, you're right. You can't consider them all. The assembly districts, they're good. You have to redraw the state Senate and the congressional districts. Uh, I mean, a major loss for the Democratic leadership in, in the state legislature mm-hmm. and uh, uh, an incredible nightmare and headache for the boards of elections across the state. So some, something I'm curious about, and I did some Wikipedia searching, what, for whatever that's worth, right? Mm-hmm. Might be dangerous. Right. But uh, the, the, ch- the chief judge, Janet DeFiore, delivered the decision, right? Yes. So if you look into Janet's past, uh, she was a Republican judge up until 2007. What, what else happened around that time? Uh, well, 2007. Jeez, I mean... What a time to be alive. Yeah, I, I was I was doing a lot of methamphetamine last time, but um, uh, no, two thousand. I'm, I'm glad you're better now. Yeah, uh, he's uh, doing more methamphetamine. Right, yeah, <laughs> just just a cornucopia of methamphetamine. That's right. That's right. Uh, now uh, that is when former Governor Andrew Cuomo became Attorney General. Yeah, that's hey right. Now. That's right. And so Janet DeFiore, she was a judge in Westchester County. Yeah. And she seceded Janine Pirro. So that should, you know, <laughs> anybody who's interested in. Fox's News, Fox News' own, right? Right. Judge yeah. Janine. Yeah. So um, Cuomo, by then governor in 2016, appointed Janet mm-hmm. uh, chief, chief judge, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, is there anything going on in the background here? I mean, th- I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I, uh, our boy Dave Weigel was uh, said something about how, when this got overturned by the appeals court, uh, uh, he had a tweet about how, like, I, I should say, chief judge of the appeals court, right? Yeah. How Republicans view Democrats as like this unified, like, monolith army of communists mm-hmm. <laughs> and like and how democrats really are is like like we just can't stop shooting each other in the foot um and, and but somebody pointed out like they were all appointed by democrats but you know there's questions as to exactly how left or you know democratic valued some of these judges are especially 
Cuomo especially was appointing right-leaning judges. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, also could could Andrew Cuomo in the background be well? Fuck these people; they didn't have my back. What? That's well. That's also that's one reason why he was appointing like right leaning judges. Mm-hmm. He was he was like these were people who were going to be loyal personally to Andrew Cuomo right. Right. and not loyal ideologues uh, in the state. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, he received criticism every time. They still got passed by the assembly or the senate. Or they still got approved by the senate every single time. Uh, although, you know, for some of those, it was. You know, the Independent Democratic Caucus was around and was def- giving the Republicans control of the state Senate de- by default or de facto. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some concessions there to actually get things approved by the Senate. But, like, I mean, Cuomo could have pushed it. He had enough power as governor. Yeah. He could have picked more left judges. And he didn't. He, he chose to pick these these more conservative conservative ideologues. Uh, and the judges, especially, you know, De Fiore. Right. Um, you know, look, you don't get to be like, you know, the handpicked successor to Janine Pirro because, <laughs> you know, you're the yeah. second coming of Noam Chomsky. Like, that's not going to happen. Just wonder, wonder what's going on there. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Who's to say? I don't know. Whatever. We, we've we also had the uh, the primaries pushed. That's right. Yeah. So we have had the split primaries, right? Yeah. So the primaries, they're being the New York Congressional and State Senate primaries are being moved to August twenty third. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this gets back to our our point on Erie County saying, "Oh, we're not going to have, we're not going to take take as much tax money for the gases, and now they have to pay for a third <laughs> primary." <laughs> oh no. What's the point of this? I mean, what is what is the idea behind this? Why are these primaries getting pushed? Well, I mean, they have because of the districts get redrawn. They might have to do all brand new petitions. Right, right. So, and the petition process takes about a month, and then you have a couple of weeks after petitions are turned in um, for objections and disqualifications. So, I guess this is kind of a necessary evil, right? So, I mean, it's it's kind of like you know, the uh, I believe the deadline is like May twenty six or something. It's at some time at the end of this month yeah. to have the lines drawn. And then once the lines are drawn and the Board of Elections can get all those lines into their computers, um, then you'll have new petitions done. And, you know, and maybe this gives somebody like Andrew McCarthy a second chance at life yeah. to new, do new petitions. Well, who knows how, how that district's going to look, right? Right. The big old Niagara Falls, the Watertown district, right? Right, yeah. It, who, it, it could be anything now. Yeah, it really could. So maybe it'll be a boat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's going to be it's going it's going it's going to be it's going to be crazy uh you know i mean this brings up like you know somebody like like um at wrath right mm-hmm. you know so my understanding is that at wrath they they ran, the republicans ran a placeholder candidate for the assembly against Karen McMahon and at wrath was going to actually jump into that because he got drawn in with Tim Kennedy mhm Oh, well, geez. now if the districts are redrawn and Adarath isn't drawn in with Tim Kennedy, maybe he'd rather be a state senator than be in the assembly. Yeah. Yep. We'll see. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that we're we're cutting it so close. I mean, even August 23rd, that's not that long. That's that, that's three months. Yeah. You know, like that three months to kind of figure out like, hey, what is the new district going to be to get the petitions in? Um, I mean, fuck, if you're running in that district, if... I don't imagine it'll change too radically, but still, even adding another 
I don't know. Even having just another small part to the district could radically change how you campaign in the district. Right. I mean, where you focus your efforts. uh, Something like this is hugely favorable to the incumbents. Yes. Because it's, it's, say you're a community activist and you wanted to challenge for a state senate this year. And so you got all your volunteers to go out night after night for a month to get petitions done for your state senate campaign. And then the state says, hey, just kidding, fuck you. All your petitions are no good. Go get your volunteers, re-motivate them, and get them to go back out and do it again. Yeah. I mean, the flip side, though, if you're an incumbent, like if you end up with uh, a new district that they don't really care for you in that district, and they might have somebody of their own that they were, like the, the I'm talking to like the county party or whatever, if they have somebody of their own who they want in that seat and they see the opportunity, you could be out on your ass. Well, it's it, it's going to be hard also for, like maybe for incumbents to get petitions on too, because, you know, like with the petitions being all done at the same time, like people were out doing their committee petitions like we talked about, so they were, they were going out for that, they were, they were going out for all these offices. You, you have to ask these committee people to go back out and do petitions a second time now. Mm-hmm. That's also going to be a fucking nightmare. I wouldn't be surprised if, because of this, we get an executive order uh, reducing the number of signatures needed for the petitions, mm. uh, like Cuomo did during COVID, where oh, be they reduced the number of signatures. So you're needed. saying the committee membership petitions might might you might have a second chance for that? No. Oh, okay. Now the committee committee seats are done. Committee seats are done, but it is. Those people, like on the committee, they already did their petitions. Got, all right, they, gotcha. they don't want to go back out. There's no right, incentive right, right, for them right, right. to go back out. Right. right. Yeah. At, 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 like the f- last time they did it, at least like th- one of the petitions had their own fucking name on it. Yeah. So they were incentivized to be like, oh, right, yeah, right, could you right. sign a petition for Sean Ryan and also one for me, the fucking person in front of you? <laughs> yes. Like, sure. But now like it's like, hey, thanks for doing all that work on behalf of Senator Ryan two months ago. Unfortunately... All that stuff ended up in a bonfire. Hey, you could re- you please do it again? Hey, you remember me? Yeah. yeah, I'm back. Remember, remember when we asked you to give up like all your evenings for like three weeks doing petitions? Could you do that again? Except this time during the good weather, <laughs> well, you could be outside doing literally anything else. Yeah. Right. Tough, tough to say what you choose. Ah, uh, well, uh, thanks for joining us here at the square, folks. We have. An awesome interview coming up, uh, like Ryan mentioned, with Frank Hausch, uh, local election law attorney. We have a, a kind of, I'd say, broad conversation about uh, election law here in America and redistricting. Um, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, thanks for thanks for being you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next week. Yep. Today at the square, we are quite happy to uh, have a very special guest with us today, local election law attorney Frank Hausch. Frank, what's up, man? Glad to be here, guys. We're glad to be on Zoom with you. 
Yes, yes. Thank you for uh, for accommodating us here, Frank. I know. I mean, I've gotten so used to like the virtual world that when I was finally back in with people it's super disorienting for me sometimes to uh go back and forth from like irl to computer screens talking to people um right i i just assume that most people during the pandemic uh transitioned from 3d to 2d and so <laughs> seeing somebody in 3d just doesn't work out for me anymore yeah people seem genuinely surprised uh you know to be back amongst other people now and sometimes don't quite have to be sort of get back into the swing of things about you know what to say if you bump into somebody? What to say if somebody's holding a door for you? <laughs> my big thing is the handshake. What do I do here? Yeah. yeah. What I'm do I do with my hands? Bump. Yeah. yeah, fist bump. Oh, fist bump is solid. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we could talk to you all day about uh, social graces there, Frank. But uh, <laughs> the real reason we brought you on is to talk election law, to talk redistricting. And folks, this is a vegetables episode. In case you were curious, this is your hearty Keep your regular, delicious roasted butter vegetables. So we'll give you your candy, but you got to earn it. Uh, And we're going to earn it today with actually a a pretty exciting topic. I'm not going to lie. So, Frank, we um, were talking a little bit before the show. Um, There is are are we are we are the klaxons going? Are the alarm bells ringing? Should they be ringing for what's happening in this country right now? uh, Vis-a-vis election law. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what's going on right now uh, as far as redistricting, which I know is not a sexy topic, but it, it should be setting off klaxons and alarm bells. Uh, the, the, our democracy is clearly in danger. Uh, I don't think that there's really any doubt about that. I mean, we, we all of us on, Jan, on January 6th of last year watched what happened. Um, and you don't have to watch the news for very long to see that, that, our, that our democracy is in, is in danger. Uh, let me give you, let me tell you why I think redistricting is, imp- is important. Um, say that you have 100,000 people who live in a, in, a, in a particular place and you want to create two legislative districts from that. And in that group of 100,000 people, it's completely evenly divided 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. And you go and, and you talk to your common sense grandma and you say, grandma, we have to create two districts out of this. How should we do it? And your grandma would say, well, it's obvious what you do is you create two districts with half Republicans and and half Democrats. Uh, That seems reasonable, right? That's not what would happen. I promise you that's not what what would happen and and what has never happened. (laughs) What would happen is one district would be created with 67% Republicans and 23% Democrats. And another district would be created with 67% Democrats and 23% Republicans, creating what are effectively safe districts for the incumbent. That's the way it has always been. Now, what is the result of that? What are the consequences of that? How does the, the, the elected official, whether it's in the state legislature or in Congress, how do they behave? Well, first of all, they begin to align. They have a safe seat that represents their constituency. So the, the needs of those 23% of people, those minorities, those people who hold different views, are largely disregarded. They go to the Capitol, whether it's Albany, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's Washington, and they caucus with other people who have safe districts, districts like theirs. So they begin to they begin to to have their legislative life in an echo chamber where everything that they do is rewarded, uh, and they and we begin to talk past one another, uh, only to the people who we agree with, and we ignore those people who we disagree with, and we begin to demonize those people who we disagree with. Does that sound familiar? 
because <laughs> that feels very much like the America that we've <laughs> oh, yeah. been in for a while. And, and, and it's at least to a certain degree because of the, the gerrymandering or legislative redistricting, which is allowing elected officials to select their constituents rather than constituents choose their elected officials. Yeah, and- uh, if you're one of those people in the 23%, you probably feel probably correctly that your vote doesn't mean it. Yeah, well, and, and it, it also leads to like the idea that um, you know federally, Congress nationally is very unpopular. Locally, like you know, uh, the state assembly, the state senate, crazily unpopular. But then when you ask somebody like, "Well, what about your congressman?" Like, "Oh, I like him." Mm-hmm. Well, well, of course you do because it's been drawn so that it's incredibly likely that the majority of the people in the district are going to like their individual member of Congress or their member of the assembly, even though you might overall say, oh, yeah, no, they're all terrible. Yeah. And uh, that's 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 a very real consequence, I think. Uh, and let's say that we had take taken your your common sense grandma's uh, recommendation and created a 50 50 or 52 percent district. What do you think that legislator would would be like he would be more moderate he would respect and listen to the 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 voices of those who didn't disagree with them those people would have a stake in their legislative representative i you know i I think about this a lot in terms of um this kind of weird example but bear with me when barack obama was campaigning for 2008 and he said you know george w bush uh wrote too many executive orders and i'm going to i'm going to repeal executive orders i won't use executive orders only to go on to become the president who used like the most executive orders uh while in office and i bring this up to say that there's no good incentive for uh for representatives to roll that back right like why would you willingly make your own district less safe for yourself there's no incentive for you to do so you, you've identified the problem, uh, which which is the problem that we're dealing with, uh, you know, today. That the people who are responsible for creating these districts are the people who have a vested interest in, in perpetuating them. And and to be fair to the legislature, that's as designed. The New York State Constitution says that the legislature shall create these districts. That's the way we set it up. So we can't necessarily fault the legislators for for doing that. That's the system we created until we amended the Constitution in 2014 to create independent redistricting commission, which is a whole different problem. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, so I, I know I know all our listeners are, are very keyed in. They know exactly what the independent redistricting uh, commissions do. But for the one or two of them, who's not really sure? Help them out, Frank. Well, the independent redistricting commission is part of a larger national movement to depoliticize the legislative process, the, the redistricting process. Um, so the 2014 re- Independent Redistricting Commission was created. We, they, it effectively amended the state constitution to allow for an independent redistricting commission to do the redistricting. This has happened across the country most, most successfully in Arizona. So to take the decision about what districts are created away from the people who are the elected officials and into a... Uh, an, a presumably independent professional redistricting commission. We have something similar when we start talking about uh, closing defense base. You may remember, you know, every time this, they're talking about closing the, the, the Niagara Falls Air Force Base, there's a defense base closing commission because obviously you, you can't have elected officials who, who would never under any circumstances support that. So, um, so it's sort of like that. Now, the, the, the problem was that's not what the Constitution says to 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 delegate the authority to create legislative districts from the legislature to an independent commission is what we call an unconstitutional 
delegation of your authority. It's the, legis it's the legislature's duty because that's what the, the state constitution says. They have to do it. They can't say, you well, you go ahead and do it. So it was that amendment that allowed for it. Now, the, the unfortunate thing is the Independent Redistricting Commission wasn't really given a full authority to create the districts. And more importantly, the individuals who populated it were appointed by the key members of the legislature. So the people who were on the redistricting commission were the, were the, and I'm not saying that they did a bad job or that they were in, in some way, uh, you know, not intending to do their job, but they were the, the appointed by the speaker of the assembly and the, and the governor and a whole bunch of different things. So it was not an apolitical group of people. It was, it was a group of people that were appointed by, uh, by political regulars, the, the head, the, 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 most powerful people in the state. And it was equally Democrats and Republicans and, and not unpredictably, they could not agree on anything. They came up with two different maps. So that's what led to the most recent decision by the Court of Appeals saying that these maps created by the Independent Redistricting Commission and, and dealt with by the assembly, voted on by the assembly are unconstitutional. Yeah, it, it's the fight over these maps and with redistricting, I mean, it, it is so high stakes. And I know you say it's not a sexy topic. It's not traditionally sexy and it's not something that is going to grab the front page headlines often. And yet it has, it has so much of an impact on how it really does like a day-to-day -day life and, and laws um, and things like you, you just, cause you don't see your legislator every day, like it doesn't mean that they're not doing things in the legislation uh, in, in the ledge that, is impacting you. And so I think about, you know, I think about here in, um, well, here in Western New York, but in Chris Jacobs district, right? You're talking about how the districts have become so sort of ossified in their political uh, inclinations that you, you basically radicalize more and more. And like in that Republican district, I'm thinking of like uh, up until recently, Andrew McCarthy's failed campaign where he was basically like, Oh yeah, I I'm, almost full on fascist and I'm going to primary Chris Jacobs to win this, uh, to win this district. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar with Andrew McCarthy? I mean, he, he, he ended, well, I am not. Well, so, and, and I wonder if we were districting cause it might give him a second chance. So he said that he, uh, he had to drop out because he got called to emergency military duty, but he's not a member of the armed services. So I'm not sure what military duty he, <laughs> he got called to, uh, general consensus is that he didn't get enough signatures to qualify, but he was, uh, out there, like campaign in public, saying that like Republicans are too nice to trans people, and that like Dan Crenshaw is basically a liberal. And I was like, what? He he also tweeted yesterday that he doesn't believe that Helen Keller ever existed. So, <laughs> oh my god! But I mean, this is this is a guy. I, I mean, to your point though, like this is Chris Jacobs' district. It's a very conservative district. It was drawn to be that way, and it's radicalizing within itself. Well, that's what you're seeing all across all across the country. Mm -hmm. um, primary elections, uh, they're saying. I didn't think there was anything farther right than a than a Trump Republican, but evidently I was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you're seeing this all over. They're they're getting just as you get the primary elections are are basically elections that are often won by uh, left people left of of the current people or current right of the current people. That's what that's what you're seeing all over the country is so what, what we're seeing in in congress is is even the most conservative republicans are veering even farther to the right and we're seeing these these 
frankly offensive legislation to basically uh, uh, brutalize trans children because they're a vulnerable group who is uh, who, who can be who can be used as a as a as a point of abuse in order to gain points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, and so like the redistricting. One of the things why I, it's so important is like, look in a in the midterms of a president, the first presidential term, generally, the president's party, especially if they if they hold power in, in Congress, tra- historically have lost power, but. Uh, or at least lost seats and maybe not totally fall out of the majority. But whether that would be holding true anyways with redistricting going on nationwide, Republicans are, are likely to take it back the House uh, just based purely off of redistricting advantages that they're getting. That, that's, that's, that's correct, and that's an important thing to note. In 2010, even though Democrats got more votes in the aggregate than Republicans, they lost seats. And the reason that they did that is because of the fact that everything was redistricted. I'll use Florida as an example. Florida gained three seats. I believe they gained three seats. And uh, Texas gained three seats. In both of those cases, they gained those seats because of an influx of people, mostly people of color, mostly Hispanic in both cases. Despite that, despite the fact that those seats were gained for, for that reason, both of those states, which are controlled by by Republicans in the in the legislature and in the governor's mansion, created additional Republican safe seats and diminished uh, Democratic seats, thereby flipping the coin. Despite the fact that more people of color traditionally vote for Democrats, populated their state, they they use that to make create a political minority control over the political system. Well, and, and you can make the same argument that that's what happened in New York, for for sure. And I mean, for, on, for by Democrats rather than Republicans, right? And and we were talking before the show, Frank. I mean, you you use the phrase uh, Jim Crow two point right. um, which it's heavy. I mean, it, it it says a lot right there. Just like wow, uh, we're not using literacy tests and you know poll tax anymore. But what's happening? Like what what are we seeing now? How are in the year twenty twenty two? What does the marginalization of minorities look like? Um, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, in, in Georgia, uh, there have been a whole series of purges of the voting roll. And those purges inevitably affect people who poor people and people of color more than anyone else. So just the simple removal mm-hmm. from the poll so that your name isn't in the book when you go to vote. That's number one. The second thing you've seen is the, the, the closing of polling places. Uh, why is it that when people go to vote in in Atlanta and in Houston, they have to wait four or five hours? It's because if it's a, if it's in a big city with a large concentration of Democrats, there's only one polling place for them to use. The rest are broken or other things. There's outright intimidation for people who vote. Uh, we saw the 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 governor of Florida now has his own election police force. Uh, they just he just created this new election law police force that he has stated the purpose of that is to challenge people who go to the polls. Who do you think he's going to challenge? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Uh, and uh, that's probably the not the white guy in the car. It's a crime in Georgia <laughs> to give water to somebody waiting in the polls, waiting to vote. You can be prosecuted and go to jail for that. Well, good. Good. It's a good thing that it's never like. You know, oppressively hot and humid in Georgia that that would be a concern. <laughs> and, well, what, and, is, what does that tell you? I mean, right. what, what does that tell you about the mindset of a legislature that created this law, argued this law, voted on this law, and it was signed? 
Right. It's well, an intentionally cruel. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't think of any other description of it than it's an intentionally cruel attempt to prevent people from voting and to punish those who simply want to do what is indisputably just a kind act to give somebody who's thirsty some water. Well, and it's amazing too, like that. It's not surprising, I guess, that we've gotten back to outright barbarism. But for so long, it seemed like those states were able to marginalize people by doing things uh, you mentioned before. Um, I think before the show of you know, a minority max district where you had one district where it was primarily, you know, like African-Americans say, and I think about um, uh, Mississippi, they're renowned for this, where you put like a bunch of African-Americans in one district, like an 80% representation in that district. And then and they historically vote Democrat. And so that is the one district that's the Democrat district. And the rest are like white guy Republican districts. And it's like going from the legislative maneuvering and redistricting to now just we're not going to let you have any fucking water while you wait in your two hour line to the polls. It just shows how desperate it feels. Well, you, you've, you're, you're correct, and you would get a good grade in, my, in one of my classes at the law school. <laughs> nice, dude. <laughs> what you have described is the phenomenon of packing and cracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Packing is what you've just described, putting a lot of African Americans in one district to allow uh, you know, for more non-minority districts. Cracking is an example. We, we had cracking for a long time and still do. Yeah, uh, cracking it, uh, cracking is actually uh, what they're doing in Utah with the congressional districts. So the, uh, Utah actually had one district. I mean, it's it's you know, with, with all the Mormons there, it's very Republican. But they actually had one district that was trying to trend almost purple. So they divided. I think there's six congressional districts in Utah, and now all six districts have part of Salt Lake City. And they split Salt Lake City up <laughs> because it's a liberal city. Surprisingly, actually, even though it's, you know it's in Utah, it actually after San Francisco has the second highest population of LGBTQIA population in the West Coast. Um, but so the the Republicans in the Utah House or Utah State Assembly, State Legislature, said, "Well, we can't have this." But rather than pack them and give them a Democratic district, they cracked them. Right. And, and if you look at the assembly districts, or at least uh, most of the assembly districts here in Western New York, uh, what happened for a long time, it's less so now, but it's certainly prominent, is the city of Buffalo, which is the, the largest concentration of African-Americans, especially, excuse me, on the east side, uh, instead of having one representative for, for or one or two representatives for that group, you would have uh, one representative who represented 20%, and then it would go into Amherst, and another one that would represent another 20%, and would go into Cheektowaga. Another 20% would go into South Buffalo. So they, they had each different section of the African-American community had uh, a different representative, which, which, which prevented them from, from having one person who represented their interests. That's cracking. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's amazing. And I know, again, uh, here at the Square, we, you know, we have a more local bent uh, usually Western New York and, and New York uh, focused. I think, however, we're okay to make an exception when we're talking about um, the the voting stuff and and representation. I think it's so important that we have have this conversation and uh, not not to whatever use a Twitter uh, prompt to have the conversation. But I, I think so much of the news and so much of how we process a lot of this stuff, you look at it on social media and you see. Oh, things are things are bad, and your brain just goes like you you read over the same kind of text like oh redistricting it's 
you know, it's, it's bad. And your brain just kind of develops a heuristic. You're like, okay, it, there's, I guess there's like information overload, especially in the digital age where, um, you see all this stuff and you, you know, that we are in a bad spot. But when we actually start talking about the specifics of it, it's no, don't let your brain just sort of gloss over this. This is really like the, the, the house is on fire. <laughs> the house is yeah. on fire and we've got to figure out a way to put it out nationally, locally, whatever. Um, and there's so much disinformation out there. It's discouraging. It, it, it's hard to find on a complex topic like this, it, it, the, the best meaning citizen who sought the opportunity to become informed on it, they're going to get. They're going to have to wade through a lot of disinformation. Is it, speaking of disinformation, is there anything that that you've come across that seems to be like it, it just keeps getting spread, or is there something that um, I don't know? Is there any disinfo out there that gets repeated over and over? And well, the uh, the trans kids thing is it bothers me a lot because it just it it, it it's just such a blatant attempt to to find a a vulnerable group of people who you can blame uh and and of course it's happening in the context of the january the 6th investigations more and more is coming out about who did what and the response from those people who 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 should be answering for what they did during the insurrection is yeah well what about trans kids they're trying to indoctrinate your kids uh, you got to burn. You got to get rid of these books in the library because they're trying to teach your kids to to, and the the fact that they're able that that the fact that those sort of absurd offensive notions are getting traction, that people are taking them serious is evidence to me that we've that we've lost our way. I often wonder if you know these legislators who develop these. Again, I think to that Chris Jacobs district, but you could point out, you know, countless other ones throughout the country. I often wonder if they realize or if they know it and they just don't know what to do about it, that they are they're creating safe seats or creating like, again, ossified um, political ideological districts if they know or they're they're trapped by it and and how much they're they're contributing to the radicalization of politics here in america because look like my god i I can't i can't imagine like somebody like chris jacobs which we've talked about him a bunch on this show you know he's mostly yeah i I would say he was a uh uh rockefeller republican type Mm -hmm. you know he's mostly bourgeois republican in his life um probably pretty socially moderate to liberal, you know, living in the city of Buffalo, now basically echoing Trump Republican talking points. And it's just at a certain level, you have to ask, like, my God, how does the cognitive dissonance like do you do you not see that you are directly contributing to the discourse in this country just being in shambles as it relates to voting rights? It seems like, you know, 20 years ago. There, there wasn't as as much of an effort to depress. It seems like I, I think I remember there being um, at least Republicans uh, supporting voting rights, and it seemed to seems to be reversing in that direction. And I don't know if that's social media or the way of things. I mean, what's your assessment on that, Frank? Well, I, I think that that's true. As far as the motive, I can't speak to the motivations of the but of of people who perpetuate these things, but. But I think having represented a number of elected officials, the response is, this is what you have to do to get elected. Mm. You have to you have to embrace Trump if you want to win the the primary. That's the word on the street for Republicans across the country. Whether it's true or not, that's what they're being told. 
you cannot win a primary unless you embrace Trump because the Trump voters are going to come out and they're going to vote. And uh, if you if you don't or you challenge him, look what happened to Mitt Romney. Look what happened to Liz Cheney. You're going to you're, you're going to not just have the support of those people. They're going to attack you. You're going to have to get security guards for your family, for yourself. And you're going to get continuous death threats. And you're going to, and, and you're going to be spending the entire election on defense. And you're not going to be able to raise any money because nobody's going to contribute to your campaign because they don't want to they don't want to upset Trump. Now, we're starting to see some changes to that. There are some communities that that the that the, that the Trump effect is not helping. Mm. Um, but I don't know that. But that's the yeah, that's the reason they, that's the political reality. Mm. And and again, a lot of this comes from redistricting. Like it's it's a it's a byproduct of creating <clears throat> the incentive for these districts to become more radicalized and then shocker they end up more radicalized and they, they more radical exactly and because in, in these in these safe seats and and we'll use chris chris jacobs as an example um they're the who you know it, the the democrat has in that in in whatever district chris jacob runs in it's going to be a republican who wins it so the 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 primary is the election right right and no. it's the same for the democrats in in a lot of seats so that said, there you 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 gain nothing by moderating your position. You you prevent yourself from winning the primary, which is the actual election, and and then it's a, sort of a race to the bottom as to who can be the most extreme. Is there any way to fix this other than turning off the uh, the internet button, <laughs> uh, <laughs> canceling well, cable news? It, there, the people there have been a. The, the independent redistricting movement has been very effective. It's been a way for people to try to wrest this control away from the elected officials. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been successful. But unfortunately, the United States Supreme Court and our own Court of Appeals are, are showing that, that there, there are constitutional limitations to that ability. Right. Um, I, I, I can't think of any way to, to fix it other than for people to wade through the disinformation and to to try to demand more of our elected officials look I, we're, we're all beautiful geniuses here <laughs> the square podcast okay we're beautiful we can uh, figure this out folks we are going to solve I'm, yes. at a different, I'm, I'm sorry i may be looking at a different video that oh the, you're killing me frank podcast, uh, no, no you're right those shorts are driving me crazy <laughs> podcasting is the way so no, look 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 we're, we are going to solve all the problems of american democracy right here on this on this freaking podcast yeah. uh, no, no but seriously is there any way to give any kind of incentive towards doing the right thing like uh, right now all the all the incentives are pretty perverse that you want to make your seat safer so that you guarantee re-election which in turn leads to uh, a more you know hardcore voting base uh, politically ideologically wise and then it just rinse wash and repeat is there any way we can dial that back or do we have any recourse or is it just like it well well the recourse was tried in new york the independent redistricting commission right. yeah uh, we amended the constitution to allow for it uh that was a big deal but then in in practice it was it 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 wasn't controlled by you know people who who were political independents and then the 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 structural role of it uh because of that the court of appeals found constitutionally wanting it was a five. It was a seven. I'm sorry. It was a four-three decision. So it was close. But but there were four judges on the court of appeals that determined 
that uh, that the process as it was was unconstitutional. And I want to point out, if I sound like I'm beating up on the Republicans, uh, that, that it was the Democrats who did this. Now, consider nationally the pressure on the on New York, because I don't know for sure because nobody told me this, but I would be willing to to guess that the that the conversation in the DCCC, the Democratic Campaign uh, Committee, was listen. They are they are redistricting. Uh, they're going to gain seats in 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 Alabama, and and they're going to gain seats in Florida and and uh, Texas just by redistricting. We could we could win more uh, votes right. and lose all these seats. This New York, where we control the legislature and where we control the governorship, we have to we have to mitigate that. We have to come up with a few seats for Democrats if we expect to to maintain power. Because that's what the Republicans are doing all across the state. They are using the redistricting opportunity, the, the, dice, the decennial census, 10 years to increase their majorities through gerrymandering. If we don't do the same thing, if we take the high road, we're just going to lose. Now, there was I a... imagine that was the conversation. I'm not quoting anyone. <laughs> that's my guess. Yeah, I mean, what is so. All right. We live in New York, um, you know, for better, for worse. We, we're here. We've got. Uh, Kathy Hochul and, and maybe Brian Benjamin, but probably not as our lieutenant governor. We've got uh, a majority Democratic uh, legislature in the Assembly and the Senate, but also we're, we're not really seeing the fruits of that in some ways. Um, what, what, do we, what should we expect here in New York? The, again, you just talked about how the independent commissions it got shot down. Are, are we going to see anything in this state? Um, and this could be your personal belief that you're going to see any changes here or if there's anything in fact, like what are, what should we expect in the next five to 10 years in the state of New York with redistricting? Well, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't expect I, you to be a mind reader of, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, business as usual. The, uh, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there have been reformist efforts and those reformist efforts were successful, but despite those reformist efforts, it's status quo ante. The things are the way they've always been. Uh, that doesn't mean it can't change. That doesn't mean it won't change. Um, but the next thing that's going to happen in the short term is there's going to probably be a special master. The judge is going to appoint somebody to create the districts if the legislature doesn't. Those will be challenged. Uh, but soon, you know, the 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 ballot's going to have to be fixed. The ballot's going to have to be printed. The wars for control of the 2022 Congress are going to play out the way they're going to play out. Um, can can you going to be structural advantage for parties who've, who've redistricted to their advantage. They still have to get out the votes. Can you talk a bit, because you mentioned about the, the judges end up doing the redistricting. What does that usually look like? Because I was always, I was, I, I mean, I've seen obviously what the districts end up looking like, but I was always fascinated how it came to a judge to make right. this decision and what, basically like your democracy looks like just comes ends up coming to a judge uh, to make that final determination are are you privy to sort of like what kind of considerations they they make at that level when it when it comes to that yeah it's a good question and that's the subject of my law school class ever that we take every fall law 743 the 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 legislative redistricting that there are a whole number of there's there's a whole body of law from the from the uh from the supreme court uh, over 150 years of partisan gerrymandering being constitutional, being unconstitutional. And what are the factors that go into determining whether or not 
it's constitutional. For example, preserving communities of interest, contiguousness, things like this, that, the, that they have determined according to the 14th Amendment, equal protection under law, are, are key factors to consider in creating districts, what we call the Gill versus Whitford factors, but we don't need to get too much into that. Uh, so, so yes, that's it. And, and there is open source software out there that allows all of you, if you want to, to take the census data and create legislative districts. That's what my school, that's what my law school class did. And we submitted them to the independent redistricting um, uh, competition that it goes on every year. So you can create districts however you want, according to the law as it, as it exists. Uh, but there was a decision in 2019 by the United States Supreme Court that said that partisan redistricting is now okay. Uh, it is fully and, and constitutional for all of these things that we've seen, for parties that have won at the ballot box to to gerrymander or manipulate the legislative districts to keep themselves in power. In 2019, the United States Supreme Court said that was legal. What is not constitutional is racial gerrymandering, intentionally excluding people based on race, nationality, language. That is still unconstitutional. But then there's the question is, how do you tell the difference? Compared to um, this redistricting effort in New York, how gerrymandered was it compared to red states? We talked about it on the podcast, the New York uh, uh, effort, and uh, it didn't seem like it was that bad compared comparatively. Uh, it's difficult to say. It depends on what criteria you use. Um, I will say that both parties are equally guilty throughout history of this. Right now, we're seeing the the uh, the, the Republicans manipulating districts uh, more so than than Democrats. But that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I'm, I'm, you know, a partisan Democrat, but by the same token, I, I can't say that that you know that, that the Democrats are, are don't have that they they have clean hands here. Right, right. Well, it's you know, and you can see that where where we really see that is after all the states done next year, the city of Buffalo will be redistricting. Yeah, and we'll get to see what you want to you want to see some fancy ass districts. Wait till the city of Buffalo gets their hands on a map. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Frank, thanks for joining us, man. Um, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate you have uh, really. We really appreciate having you on. Um, again, mostly we focus on the local stuff, but when we're talking about, I don't know, dem- your democracy, the state of your country, and uh, voting rights. I think uh, I think we can make a, an exception go a little bit broader here. So, Frank Couch, thanks for joining us. Where where can we find you um, if you want to be found? If you're interested, h o u s h l a w dot com. I have a law practice in uh, downtown Buffalo. Uh, if I can ever be of assistance, always please feel free to contact me at House Law on Twitter. Awesome, awesome. All right, Frank. Thanks again, man. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. It's thanks. nice to be here.